0: Uh, When I was younger and uh, busy, I tended to rely heavily on my memory. I used to think that I had a pretty good memory. I didn't therefore need to wear a watch, and it wasn't particularly important to keep a calendar. That's when I was young. Now I'm old, and it's so important for me to have a watch, here it is, and to have a calendar. Because if I don't pay attention to what's coming up, if I don't stick things into the calendar of what's taking place in the future, you know what happens? Well, I double book, or I triple book, or I've even quadruple booked because it wasn't written down, it didn't get remembered. And the character of writing things down, of putting things in the diary, of sticking things on the calendar kind of gives a focus so that you know how you've got to live in the light of the event that's coming up. Uh, a number of months ago, we had stuck in the calendar that we were going to visit our kids in Jakarta in Indonesia. And that then shaped the decisions that we'd make. We'd need to buy tickets. We'd need to check that it worked out with them. We'd need to get look at travel insurance. We'd need to work out what kind of baggage we could carry and what to take in the baggage. How much would we need? How much would our kids need for us to take for them? And there's a whole range of decisions that were made in the light of something that was in the calendar. And I know students uh, are very aware of this. Uh, You can do what you like all year until that last week when there's something in the calendar that kind of focuses the mind. It's called an exam. And uh, some people, of course, can't work like that. A farmer can't work like that. I'll tell you what, I want a crop of wheat and and I I want it whenever you get it in, in February, so I'll start thinking about what to do in January. Doesn't work, does it? Sometimes the planning that you need is really long range and you've got to do things all along the way to get there. Well, this issue of planning and putting things into the calendar, how does it relate to the second coming of Jesus? Well, if Jesus is coming back, then surely the most sensible thing to do would be to stick it in the calendar, wouldn't it? Put it in the diary. I mean, you don't want to miss it. You want to be prepared for it you want to live in the light of what's coming up you don't want to be messing around with something as important as the coming of Jesus but of course there is the problem because it's not something that we can stick in the diary but the danger is that if something doesn't get entered into the calendar and I know this to be true for me if it's not there in the diary if I'm not expecting it to happen And putting it in front of myself, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, I can kind of ignore it. And I wonder deep down how many of us as Christians live life with very little regard at all for the second coming of Jesus. Why? Well, it didn't apply to our parents or to our grandparents or our great grandparents. And he can go back now over two millennia, and he didn't come back for any of those people. And so we can become a little flippant about it, and thinking, well, look, what are the odds? It probably won't apply to me either. And so therefore, I don't need to stick it in the diary. But then the danger is that I don't live in the light of that. Well, we're picking up on what we looked at last week. Um, I haven't yet heard Nathan's talk. And I'm sorry for those of you who are depending on it being up uh, online, it will be tonight. Uh, And therefore, um, I'm not quite uh, as integrated with the flow as I would be if I was here week in, week out. But what we saw last week was the inevitability that Jesus would return. Um, His promise was to come back. And when he came back, it didn't matter whether you were alive then or whether you died beforehand. Don't worry, you'll be gathered together with Jesus. And it's an incredible promise. And that kind of trips the question that chapter 5 begins with, which is really, when and how will Jesus return? So let's pick it up there at uh, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, about the times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, there's a number of things to pick up on in terms of the when and the how of Jesus return first of all Paul says I don't need to write to you about this is it because he's told them the date and they've got it in their calendars no no he has spoken to them previously about these matters but the key reason that he doesn't need to write about days and dates is that the day of the Lord is going to come in an unexpected way like a thief in the night Now, I'll come back to that. I just want to say a little bit, though, about the day of the Lord. Because the day of the Lord is a phrase with a rich history. You go back into the Old Testament and you can see from the time of Isaiah onwards, the prophets are predicting the coming of the day of the Lord. And it's a really significant event. They're hanging on the promise of the day of the Lord coming. And sometimes it brings great rejoicing. But other times the prophets speak of the day of the Lord to warn the people because they have drifted from God and they need to repent. I'll give you an example of that from Amos. It's printed there uh, on your handouts from Amos chapter 5. And this is one of those sober warnings of the day of the Lord. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear. It will be as though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light, pitch dark without a ray of brightness? Now there is a warning associated with the day of the Lord. It will be catastrophic for those who are in rebellion against God. But there's also a great expectation and a great hope for God's people about the coming day of the Lord. And the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, kind of lands on that right on the closing verses of the Old Testament. And uh, therefore, in chapter four and verse five, there is one verse after this. But second last verse of the Old Testament, Malachi writes, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. God's promise was that Elijah would come and then the day of the Lord. Now, we've just finished working through Matthew's gospel. What does it remind us of when we're told that the Elijah would come before the day of the Lord? Well, John the Baptist comes as the Elijah figure. That's made so clear at the beginning of the gospels. He is the one who comes as the messenger He's preparing the way for the Lord. The day of the Lord, therefore, is associated with Jesus. But what we need to appreciate, and this is what the Thessalonians are coming to grips with, is that there was the first coming of Jesus, but there's another coming that is yet to bring about the final day of the Lord. And so how can you prepare for that? Well, you've got to realise firstly that it will come at a time that you don't suspect, like a thief in the night. I um, confess, we don't always lock our house. Uh, I'm not telling you where I live. Many of you know. Uh, that's an old habit. Uh, I often didn't lock my house in Canberra. And you'd think that I would have learnt because in one year we were burgled five times. and. Uh, If that wasn't enough, just at the start of the next year, we got burgled again. New Year's Eve, over midnight. There it was, everything taken. Um, But you see, if I'd known the night that they were going to come, I wouldn't have just locked the house. I'd have actually digged into my wallet and employed a security guard with a weapon, maybe two, because there were things that they took that I would have liked to keep. Most of the things, really. You see, in order to be prepared for the coming of a thief, you need to have things in place. You can't depend upon knowing the day that they're going to come. Um, I know the day the plumber's going to come because I've organised it with him. And so I'm not going to be surprised when he knocks on the door and says, hi, I'm the plumber. I understand that your taps are leaking. But thieves don't do that, do they? Um, G'day, my name's Bob, Um, I'm a criminal, I've recently got out of jail, I've run out of money, I've heard that you might have some. Oh, it doesn't work like that, does it? So first of all, it will be unexpected and uh, in the light of what Jesus says and in the light of what the Apostle Paul says about it being unexpected, I don't think we should have any time for those who want to tell us when it's going to happen. Um, you may as well just kind of twiddle your thumbs and look up and around and maybe blow them a raspberry because they do not know. Various cults, various Christian groups have focused on particular prophecies and particular ideas. He's going to come on this date, it's going to happen in this way and those dates go past and they have to revise them. And of course the, uh, the, the movement into the new millennium uh, the millennium bug and all of that. People get all excited and here it is and it's going to happen and you need to be prepared and receive, but it didn't. It's not by looking at the prophecies in Daniel and looking at the prophecies in Revelation and matching them up with what's going on with the new world order and the EU and, and COVID, that's a big one, and, and the mark of the, the beast being something to do with credit cards and a whole bunch of implants. And No, nah, nah, that's fancy. It's fiction. Jesus says, you don't know. It's going to come like a thief in the night, says Paul. So don't be taken in. But know this, it will happen and it will be inescapable. Look at what he says, verses 2 and 3. That day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. First thing to notice here is it will be momentous. It will be a significant event. It's a day of the Lord event. Um, in, in postmodern society, people love to say, you've got your truth and I've got my truth. They, they love to relativise everything. And so if you have this private expectation that Jesus is coming back for you, well, that's nice. You have that expectation. I don't. But we're not talking about subjective experience. We're talking about objective reality. Just as Jesus came to earth the first time, so he will come a second time. That's the message of the scriptures. And you won't miss it. It will be very clear to all people because it will bring in a comprehensive and final judgment. And we've seen that already in the beginning of this letter. Secondly, in preparing for the day of the Lord, you need to recognise that it will be inescapable. Uh, the language that he uses here the imagery <clears throat> is that of labour pains. Now I've never had labour pains. I've had some liberal pains and some Greens pains. Um, no, that's a, that's a joke, right? I haven't. Um, no, I haven't, and, but some of you have and um, And as I look around, some of you are expecting them. But the thing about labour pains is that they're inescapable. They trigger something that's going to happen. See, a number of weeks back, I went to the dentist. And I came out of the dentist with a plan of action. Uh, It was gonna take place over at least three visits. It was gonna cost at least four figures and it was going to be painful, and I decided, therefore, to put it off. I'd I'd seen the dentist, and I could put it off indefinitely if I wanted to, but if you get labour pains and you see a doctor, you can't put it off. Um, My wife tried on one occasion. Uh, She only had labour pains for one of our four children, and that was on the 1st of October. The child was due on the 7th of January. Uh, She went to hospital expecting that they would put it off, uh, but it wasn't able to be. And so Grace was born at 25.5 weeks. You see, when these things are happening, they inevitably mean that it's going to take place. And that's Paul's message. Comprehensive, potentially catastrophic. You can't avoid it. So then how can you get ready for that day? Well, that's the next verses. Verses 4 to uh, 11, but you brothers and sisters, he says, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So the the first thing to notice here in terms of being prepared is it's not about knowing the day or the date. It's about knowing who you are and where you are. And he uses an image here of, well, it's a double image, really, that of light and darkness and day and night. And I've, I've put a little um, diagram on your outline. You might like to uh, just look at that under we live in the day, verses four and five. See, the, the coming of Jesus Christ wasn't simply a one-time event where he came and then took everybody to be with him for eternity the coming of Jesus Christ did everything that was necessary to save people for eternity but now there's a period of overlap of the ages people still live and die but there will come a day when people will be raised when Jesus returns to live forever and There's an overlap, therefore, of what you could describe as as two perspectives on life. The perspective of life that is darkness and night that leads to death. And because of Jesus coming and the work of the Spirit, now there is a time and a perspective of being in the light, living according to the day, and that leads to life eternal. So how can you move from the darkness night line up to the light day line? Simply by putting your trust in Jesus and turning back to him. In other words, becoming a Christian. But you still need to wait for him to come back, for everything to be put right. So that's his his answer, in a sense. How do you get ready? Well, know that you live in the day. But knowing that you live in the day has implications, consequences. And the first of these is, know if you're Christian that you live in the day, so don't live in the night. Look at verses 6 and 7. So then let us not be like others who are those who get drunk, sorry, who, who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk get drunk at night. Now he uses a number of images here, contrasting being awake and sober—that is, living in the daylight, knowing that it's uh, it's time for for doing daytime things, not time for going back to bed. It's not time for getting drunk. Um, and uh, by contrast, there are nighttime things, and he's not advocating this, by the way, getting drunk and and uh, and being uncontrolled, but he's saying, we are people who live in the daytime space, not the nighttime space. Now, I'll give you an illustration of this. Um, Many moons ago, I was a cabbie. I I worked as a taxi driver in Sydney for four years uh, while I was training at university. And I would typically work the second shift of the day. The shifts were from three till three. You could start at 3am in the morning and finish at 3 in the afternoon, that was the day shift if you like, or you could start at 3 in the afternoon and finish at 3 in the morning, that was the night shift, and I nearly always worked the night shift, it just kind of worked for me on a Friday night or a Saturday night. And let me tell you about the character of working day shifts, or even the first two or three hours of a night shift, which is really in the daytime. People are dressed up, people are going to work, people are coming home from work. People are going to the airport, people are leaving the airport. That's the sort of thing that happens in the daytime. But nighttime, that's different. The sleaze comes out in the nighttime. You're picking up people from pubs and bars. And as you pull up to the curb, you don't pull up beside them, you pull up about 10 metres in front of them. And if they can't walk to the car, then you keep on going. Unless, of course, there's a risk to that person as there were Uh, a number of times that I saw where people were being threatened by others, in which case I would pick them up. But I never had anyone vomit in my cab during the daytime or vomit on the outside of the cab, right down the door so that no one ever wanted to come and book the cab again during the daytime. That happened at night. No one ever pulled a knife on me during the daytime. That happened at night. Nobody ever did a runner in the daytime. They'd do that at night. You see, the reality is we're to be people of the day, not people of the night. The the character of our lives is to be out there, visible, open, in the light, self-controlled, people of Christ. And so we don't live in the night. We are therefore to get up and get dressed in the daytime. Uh, We should have looked at this during COVID, shouldn't we, when when people stayed in their jammies all day? Um, But that's another story. Verse eight, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Since we belong to the day, let's be sober. And we need to get dressed appropriately for the day and the appropriate dress is to put on faith and hope and love. I want to look into these three things in a second because they've, they've really been quite important in 1 Thessalonians, to put on faith and hope and love. Come back with me to, uh, well, let me read it to you from the beginning of 1 Thessalonians. So this was the very first week. And we saw in chapter 1, verse 3, We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, hope and love. It it really summed up their Christian life. Uh, Or halfway through the letter, when he talks about his prayer, uh, picking it up at verse 10, he says, Night and day we prayed most earnestly for you, in in chapter 3, that we might see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. And may he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Doesn't use the word hope there, but it's a prayer in hope for the return of Jesus faith hope and love and here we see it again in chapter 5 it's what it is to be people who live in the day that we will display faith and hope and love but he's not just simply talking about fruit or characteristics or or expressions of what it is to be Christian no, there's another image he uses and that is of protection of armour See the images there? Faith and love are a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. A breastplate and a helmet. Now, we know that there are certain situations in life where it's wise to be protected. Um, If you're going to play cricket for your country, uh, it makes sense to wear a few items of protection. Certain places. Uh, And pretty much in this day of high-speed bowling, every place you can possibly put it. Um, Those of you who might ride scooters or motorcycles, uh, it's wise to be protected. Uh, Mind you, two and a half weeks in Indonesia, in the heat, everybody travelling around with thongs on, shorts, T-shirts, at least a helmet, uh, makes you a little bit flippant about that. In a way that I wouldn't be back here. I'd make sure I put my boots on, and and, uh, I'd I'd put a leather jacket on, I'd wear a helmet, I'd wear leather gloves. And if it was a serious ride, I'd put on a pair of jeans that were rated at six seconds. These jeans, or these pants, they're probably rated at 0.06 of a second. In other words, that's how long it will take for them to rip through. I've got a pair of Kevlar jeans that are rated at six seconds. I'm able to slide on the road for six seconds before it wears through. Faith, hope and love. They're protection and they're beautiful protection and they're effective protection because each of them point you away from yourself to Christ. Your faith is in Christ. Your hope is in Christ. You're enabled to love Christ and love one another. They, they provide kind of navigation points if you want to change your images. You look to the past and you put your faith in Christ. You look to the future in the hope of Christ's coming. Therefore, in the present, you are free to love. Faith, hope and love. They are key elements, essential elements, protective elements of being prepared for Jesus. And how do they prepare you for Jesus? By faith in Jesus by love in Jesus, by hope in Jesus. That is, they orient you to depend upon Jesus in every aspect of life. That's how you get it in the calendar. Not by knowing the date, but by having the right perspective. Living in the day, putting on the armour, being prepared for what's to happen. And in the light of this then, you are to encourage each other to do this more and more. Therefore, verse 11... Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. How are you to encourage one another? Well, don't just import ideas at this point. Go back to the passage. What does it say? Well, it says to encourage one another to live in the day, to be sober and to be self-controlled. It encourages us to... Be people who are appointed not for God's wrath, but for salvation, knowing that he died for us, whether we're awake or asleep, and asleep's being used two different ways in this passage, that we might live together with him. It encourages us to be people who know Christ and therefore trust him. People who are looking forward to Christ and therefore put our hope in him. People who know that life is all about Christ and therefore love from him that's how we should encourage one another as we catch up with each other as we talk with each other as we meet for Bible study as we have a coffee with each other as we talk after church let our conversation be focused on helping each other to be prepared for the coming of Christ friends let me um Let me draw together some threads here. And I'm going to ask you some questions as I do that. Why is it, do you think, that we find it hard to believe in the second coming of Jesus? In there being a day of judgment? What are the things that get in the way of us believing that? And how do we live lives that are genuinely in the light rather than in the darkness? What is it that that shapes our character and our decision-making? What is it that we fill our minds with and that therefore what goes in comes out in conversation with others around about us? Do you look forward to one day being with Jesus what's interesting in this passage here is it doesn't talk about the place at all it's not particularly focused on where Jesus is taking us what heaven might look like what a new creation might be now the key thing here is about relationship with Jesus look at verse 10 again he died for us So that whether we're awake or asleep we may live together with him. You want to know what the future can be like what the future will be like for Christians it will be with Jesus that's the most important feature with Jesus who knows whether it's going to involve surfing or not surfing whether it's going to involve riding motorcycles and which brand this joke <laughs> of course we know which brand of them um, there's so many things we don't know but we do know that we'll be with Jesus is that a good thing well let me tell you Jesus has done more for you than the person that you think loves you the most he gave his life for you to make you right with God it cost him his death on the cross How much more then does he want you to be with him for eternity? And who do you know who might need encouragement to persevere in the light of that? What could you do to encourage them? Is it a conversation? Is it sending a card? Is it inviting them around? Is it saying, I miss you, we haven't seen you, how are you going? Is it speaking up about some of your struggles in persevering as a Christian so that others don't feel that you are kind of living an air of perfection that they could never measure up to? How could you go about encouraging those who need encouragement to persevere until Jesus returns and, and how could you look to focus more on on strengthening faith and encouraging people to to live in hope and to realise that Christ has met all their needs so that they're free to love see there's so much to distract us in this life there's so much going on there's so much that's appealing this life is is amazing and we live in an amazing part of the world and we enjoy amazing peace and prosperity but then look at the threat while people are saying peace and safety hey we live in bonnie hills we live in laurenton we live in port macquarie it's the ideal place to live There's great danger to us in a way that there isn't to people who are struggling to survive in a refugee camp. They know they're not home. We get deluded into thinking that we are. See, this life is not all there is, friends. I think we'd do well from time to time to think about our bucket lists and what we put on them. You know, is it really about collecting things is it really about collecting experiences the people that need to collect things and experiences who need to suck the absolute most out of life are the people that are living for this life alone we are not we're not living for this life and because we're not living for this life We can make decisions in the light of the return of Jesus. And amongst other things, that means that everybody around us, people that we know and love and care about, will one day give an account before Jesus. Are they going to be in the darkness when that happens or will they be in the light? I think there's much food for thought and I'd encourage you to continue conversation about these things as we look to encourage each other. In the light of the great promise that Jesus is coming back, let's pray. Loving Father, we we thank you that we can trust your promises. But because we don't stick all this in the diary, we can sometimes live as though it's not the case. We ask your forgiveness for that, and we pray that you'll help us to shape our lives around the truth that your word declares that Jesus will return and that there will be this day of the Lord when everybody is called to account. So help us to be sober, help us to be self-controlled and we pray that by your spirit you'll produce f- fruit in our lives of faith and hope and love. Amen.